We've already been on the bench technically for seven months, so what's another couple of weeks? You know, like what really, what's another couple of weeks? We've got to wait till we get all the information and make uh, make the proper decisions then. But it's impossible to guess. We don't, we don't know what's going to happen. Today on Dirty Linen, we are chatting to Stephen Nan. He's a chef at Omnia in South Yarra, the corner of Turak Road and Chapel Street. The restaurant hadn't been open long before everything went a little bit haywire. Steve was also due to open other restaurants in the same capital development. I don't want to even start by talking about that though, Steve. Though, first of all, welcome. Thanks for coming along, having a chat. Thank you. Thank you. I want to start by asking you about the seasons. I know how connected you are to farmers and to produce and how much you love the seasons coming along, rolling through. And I just wonder what it's been like to sort of miss one season after another as uh, Melbourne has gone through lockdown. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's been, you know, that's that's... It's been a bit, uh, bit of a shame, you know. You're always thinking, thinking ahead, thinking for the, the next thing. Like you know, right now we've got, you know, we've got asparagus, but asparagus is very difficult to translate into the kind of takeaway format to really do it to do it justice, which is a big shame. Which is not only for us, but you know, I get my asparagus from um, you know a bit of a legend, uh, John Hobson from Janella Farm. Him and Pam, I think of been on the go, you know, probably, I think John's actually three generations of asparagus farming. He only has a couple other products, which is snow peas and then uh, baby corn. So for John, you know, I think it's been a, it's, that's an absolute killer. I saw him on uh, last Saturday at the farmer's market where I was picking up one box, but, you know, usually I would be flying through eight or nine. So it's, it's a shame, and you know, it's it, the volume's just not there, and some things don't translate. And you know, if yeah, it is it feels like if we do get back open, we'll just kind of be going. Um, you know, who knows when it will be? So you, yeah, we'll have missed absolutely plenty. Like mushroom season was a big damp squid. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really sad, and it's you know, it's something that not everybody would wouldn't really click for everybody. Um, but I remember running into you at the St Kilda Farmers Market last year. I think it was, and and it was baby corn was was coming through, and you were so excited and it. Um, you know, it's a it's a dish that I remember eating when you were at the Estelle, and you really make a it's a real a real showcase you know you really you really dig into to the possibilities of produce don't you yeah i mean like when you with the, it's like anything when you have a, a, a kind of personal relationship with with your suppliers like you know another great guy um you know for instance you actually understand you you're talking to them months in advance like i'm already talking to hobble we call him about the the baby corn coming but the sad thing is he called me a few weeks ago and he's like i don't know if i'm going to put it in because it takes up a lot of space it's a lot of work it needs to be maintained it's not something i can sell really anywhere else i'm talking about these baby sunrise corns um and yeah so that impact you see that that uh that spiraling through but you know yeah i really do miss the old the old produce yeah that is really that's really sad to hear that he might not be putting it in but you can understand why i mean it's um yeah what is the point of planting something if there's not going to be that demand for it but i suppose what it makes me think is yeah. that as we reopen there's going to be a bit of a flattening out of what's available it's going to be uh, you know there'll be that other layer of difficulty to differentiating yourself as a chef and as a restaurateur. Yeah, yeah, that's that's um, 
Yeah, that's 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 for sure. Like, if you think of the, just the general varieties, I can't imagine there'll be too many tomato growers going. Yeah, we're going to put in this because I know this guy over here is a big, you know, loves green tomatoes, and they'll probably run that for the whole season. You know, I know such and such over there uses you know power loads of black Russians. I'll put them in. You know, all that lovely flexibility that growers when they're in communications with us, you know. Uh, you know, do purely for us. You know, talking small batches here can be, it's not fields and, you know, pony loads of, of produce. They're really catering to us. So I think all that will probably, we won't see any of that this, this year, unfortunately. So you think there'll be a bit of a blanding out of menus and perhaps higher prices? Like, what will happen? Well, you know, you, what are you talking when we reopen? You know, when when we're allowed to reopen? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean... The, the, you know that's that's the thing. Like premium grade asparagus is really no different to you know a piece of meat. Um, if you think you know it's still up there between you know your fifteen to twenty dollars a kilo, depending on. I'm talking for the absolute glamour primo, um, top quality products. It's the same price as you know sometimes is uh, your main proteins of beef and you know uh, lamb etc. So I can't imagine people will be. You know, you think of a tasting menu place where you can maybe do one section of the menu that has three or four, maybe even five hits of, say, tomatoes. You might see it in, you know, a tart formation. There might be a juice, a broth. There might be some, you know, a kombucha. There might be, you know, it might it might start green and then go in. I, I can't imagine there'll be as much of that because we're not operating under normal circumstances. We're doing things like takeaway. We're doing, we're not... There's no, the, to tell the story that majority of the time those products demand, we don't have that um, that face to face, you know, connection anymore. Like the people are placing orders through, you know, websites and then they come and they pick it up. So it will be a lot. It was very hard to be able to 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 get that over the line. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've sort of we've we've skipped over a lot in this conversation, but I did want to start with 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 produce. Uh, because I know it is so it's so central to how you think about um, cooking for people. But tell me where you're at right now. Like, um, tell me how you're feeling about Omnia, about the takeaway thing, and and about looking ahead to reopening. Hopefully, before too long. Well, you know, obviously it's not ideal the situation we're in. But you know, you got to, you got you know you got to look at the positive the positive things that have, that have came through all of this. Like I, I look back to when this really for me started kicking you know really realizing that this was 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 something that was pretty serious it was it was all the way back in formula 1 you remember that the formula the grand prix got canceled we were actually doing an event we had a uh, i think it was it was it was for charity and scott pickett was he was doing um three or four courses in front and we were doing the dessert that Scott, I think it, you know, set up. It was, it was, we were going to do, you know, me being Scottish and I think it was for Sir Jackie Stewart's charity, him being Scottish. So we were going to do a Kranikin, it was 600 portions. We were all ready to go on the Friday, on the Friday morning. And then we got the call at like seven thirty, eight o'clock. Well, that's, you know, it's canceled. So we've got like 600 portions just gone. So then after that, you know, things, things really started to, to move pretty pretty quickly and I mean if you think you know if you actually look back how much restaurants have achieved and what they've done it really is pretty inspiring you know you remember there was the you know the the fear and the shock at the start I remember one of the, another big 
graphic thing was, you know, um, it was almost like a movie. You know, I lived in Prague. I lived quite close to um, to the the job center. You know, the center link. You know, the queue was around the block, so it was very. Things were moving so fast that you know there was that fear and the the shock of shit. You know what's going on, and then we had you know. You know, the really difficult part of telling, you know, all our team, we had a large team, we were doing a lot of covers, we were fortunate that we were, you know, we were really busy, um, and then obviously we had to sit all the team down, you know, this is what's happening, things, you know, we hung on for that, I think it was like one or two weeks, and then, the, you know, then the government obviously shut all the restaurants down, but it's not, the, it's not just like, ah, oh, on Wednesday, that's it, it's closed, there's the stuff leading up to that, the stuff after that, from the, you know, the deep cleaning, the packing down, that's bloody hard work when you're when you're feeling that you don't know what's coming next, and that there's a lot of uncertainty, and you're ripping out an extraction system, you know, deep cleaning your your whole area, not just your kitchen, but all the stuff that's behind the scenes. That's pretty, you know, it's pretty, you know. And then you remember there was all the panic buying, like you know, you can't get a toilet roll, dry goods are going crazy. Yeah, you know, then there is, what else was there, you know, the comfort food explosion, everyone's, you know, lasagnas and braises, and takeaway, you know, the restaurant's just pivoting very, very quickly, so I mean, I think there's a lot of positives to look at that, to like how we, how we, where we are now, you know, it's been, how many months has it been? It's been like six, seven months. Yeah, seven months. It's um seven it's a, months. It's a long time and that's a lot of emotion to expand through that period and energy and all in all that change. Yeah, it is. It's an, it is it is absolutely, you know, huge amounts. But if you but you got but again, like, you know, I'm a f i am try to be very positive in my teams. I don't you know, I don't I don't like any negativity or because the job's hard enough without that. It really is brutal um, without constant, you know, if you're in the doom and gloom and this is shit and this isn't good and this isn't, you don't actually see all the amazing creativity. Like if you just look at, if you scroll through Instagram and, you know, you see all the stuff that's going on, all these side hustles people are doing, you know, it's, it's wild from, it's so creative, it's pretty inspiring from, you know, like magazines, there's people doing like, uh Cheesecakes, tarts, you know, I even seen flower arrangements, hot sauces, you know, cocktail batching, online cooking classes, demos, tea tastings, collabs, you know. What other industry, do, you know, responds like that? It's, you, although, yes, it has been a really tough period, you, there has been some amazing stuff as well that really shows you this vast skill set of, of, of the industry that's not just people putting food on plates and pouring wine in glasses. Like, we're, we're a remarkable group of people. It's pretty, although it is brutal, yeah, there is, there, is, um, there is some inspirational stuff to take away from that. Great, you know, people are very resourceful. They are, and I suppose it's been a time when people have really had to dig deep and you have seen the depth that's been revealed. Like, there is, yeah, so much resilience, so much creativity, and also I think... A, a lot of really welcome collaboration. Oh, absolutely. And I even think between, you know, people running the restaurants, you know, journalists, you know, um, it, it's, it's been a very, it's been, a, you know, a really united front. I think long may that continue where people are, are not so much, are, are actually shading, shading and working as a community that rather than, you know, in competition, they're actually coming together and being like, hey, you know, we need to back each other. We need to work together to to not just to get out of this, but to make sure that this is still an exciting, fantastic 
path as a young person to get into the industry. It's not a big turnoff. It's not, you know, people, I hope there's, you know, people are still looking at the the great things that you can do within the industry and not looking at this and going, nah, I'm done. Mm. Yeah, I hope so too. Steve, you lead, uh, you know, you're a leader, you you um, employ people and I'm sure they're asking you at the moment, you know, or been, I'm sure they've been asking you for months, you know, what's happening? What's happening next? What can I expect? When am I getting some, some more hours? It must be really hard for you to be living through the uncertainty that we all are, but at the same time to be trying to um, give people, keep keep that hope alive for, you, for your team. Yeah, it, it is. But, you know, I think that we are, you know, I'm especially lucky that we have some, you know, we've got a very, very good team of uh, and we've been, you know, as transparent as you possibly can. And they, I think at first it was very difficult for people to accept, but people can see they're, when they're here, they know that we're, you know, we're, we're going as hard as we can. We've moved with every change. We're trying to generate as much revenue as possible. We're trying to fix things that don't cost behind the scenes. You know, we're trying to... We're trying to we're trying our, our guts out, and they're giving a hundred percent. We've we're yeah we've we've even within our own teams we've 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 seen it. Yes, it is difficult, but they're they're motivating each other as well, which is pretty as 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 the leader. It's pretty inspiring to see that as well. It makes you pretty proud when you see. Look, everyone has everyone has down days. You get a day where you come in, you're like, geez, you know, you're reading the news and everything's negative, 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 um, you know, then you bring, now there's, you know, the American elections coming in, which is more chaos and chaos and chaos. And, it, you know, it can grate you down, but you do see people picking each other up, giving each other, you know, uh, a socially distanced hug. Uh, no, you, know, you, know, you know, people are more are helping each other where they need to be. And people have good days and bad days. And rather than, you know, just walk away from the situation. People are accepting that, you know what, it's all right to be in a bad mood that day because this is really difficult times. People have no idea what's going on. Every family is affected, you know, affected. It's not just the team that you work with. You're going home and, you know, I'm sure people are, because, you know, certainly I, I speak to people all back in the UK where I'm from, from Glasgow and from, you know, other places where I've worked, et cetera. And everyone's doing it tough. You know, we've had staff members have had, um, you know, family members die and been in you know, really difficult circumstances, unable to attend funerals, people going back overseas. You know, their Australian dreams are dashed. It's, you know, people, I think people, although, yes, they, they, want to, they want to get back, they understand the process that we, this is not in our control and we are really, we are really trying to crack on and, and do as much as possible. Yeah, well, let's talk about cracking on in the the, the short-term future. Everyone in Melbourne is wondering about reopening when the case numbers are going to be low enough for that to be safe. Uh, how are you feeling about that process? And the, yeah. I, d I don't think it's going to be on the 19th of October because uh, I don't think it's going to be on the 19th of October because if we're going by these guidelines that we're supposed to be getting to a certain number of cases doesn't look like we're going to we're going to uh, be able to achieve it. I just think that it's just not. It's very difficult for restaurants. They they're you know they're not uh, you know Fortune five hundred companies. You know they're not. They don't they they don't have this mega infrastructure where you can have one department just go and analyze this section, one department go and analyze. We really are. We have to wait until we get all the information. 
properly, mark it all out to the letter of the law, implement all these procedures and policies, then somehow figure out if this is actually worthwhile doing. So you feel like it's not, uh, you're not going to start putting things in place because you're predicting a certain thing, you're going to wait until you've got all the information to sift through? Yeah, 100%, because we've done that, we've done that, we've done all the guessing, we've done all the, you know, we are we are already, you know, chefs and, and you know, service teams are all very creative people. We're always looking, you know, we're always looking at, uh, again, comes back to the seasons, what's in season, what can we use now, how can we, how can we apply it? We've started bouncing down scenarios, but until we get that solid concrete information, you know, how many people are we allowed? What's the t- are people? What is the two-hour two exercise or meeting up with people? Is that all going to be gone? What's the time? How does it work? Is there is there going to be a lunch trade? Like if people are if people are working now from all you know all from their homes, uh, the majority of you know uh, civilians are working, you know, working from home, and are they going to? They're not in those pods anymore where there's the three people in the office are going to go here for lunch so what you know there's a lot of uncertainty so i think we need to just slow it down wait until we get all the information and just make actually well-informed decisions uh and and make sure that we're not going full throttle and then to have to constantly keep tweaking it's it's very difficult so we will definitely be look we're eager to open but we need all we need all the facts Mm. Yeah, so you'd rather just take things a little bit slower, sit, sit back, wait and see how it all shakes down and then just get, go full steam ahead once you know what it is that you can do, at least for the next stage of um, of business. Yeah, because it's like double handling if we were to just go and take loads of reservations right now, loads of requests. You know, we need, you know, like there's all sorts of, then you're, you almost feels like you're letting your guests down again. You've got to contact them, shift them around, move them around. You know, I think that there's, we've already been on the bench technically for seven months. So what's another couple of weeks? You know, like what really? What's another couple of weeks um, of of sticking with the takeaway? You know, we've, we've been, we've you know, we do we do the bagels. They've gone very well. Um, so like we've got, yeah, we've got we've got to we've got to wait till we get all the information and make uh, make the proper decisions. Then it's impossible to guess. We don't we don't know what's going to happen. Plus, again, you can't even roster. You can't prepare roster. You can't prepare any, you know, rostering. You can't calculate anything. You, it's very hard to make a particular offering when you don't know, you know, what's what exactly is going to happen. The weather, weather is a massive thing as well. You, you saw it like was it last week? It was like twenty eight degrees on Sunday, then nine degrees on Monday. Yeah, doesn't make it simple, does it? And you don't really have an outdoor area there. No, we don't. We don't. We we have a little bit of. I see it way more as something that we'll do would be more, you know, boozy, more drinks, you know, snacks, that kind of thing. But you, each space will lend to their own. Like if you've got a beer garden or a back area that you can actually provide some form of service where there's not constant interruption. Like if you're right on the footpath, right on, the, you know, what food suits to that? People, money's tight for a lot of, you know, for everyone. You know, it's not just... Within the hospitality industry, there's loads of industries that have been smashed. What, how much money are people prepared to spend on the street? I don't know. I think it'll be more alcohol focused. I think that's 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 how I, I see it. Um, because it's not it's not the same experience. Alfresco's, you know, it's unless you have some you know well planned thought out area with you know all your point of sales, your 
everything the front of the house team need from your a proper detailed waiter station you know then you got all the added covid tracking covid safety covid cleaning how do you deal with people just walking past seeing it wanting to become a part of it even though they're not but you know there's all sorts of little things that go in that put not only the guests but more importantly the staff at risk so we we need all the answers we can't I, I can't see how we could do it any other way right now yeah, and I think you're right about the experience that people are going to want in, in certainly in some outdoor settings. If I think about sitting on the pavement on Chapel Street with cars going past and trams rattling by, and if someone comes out and tries to, do you like um, tell me about the the how the asparagus was grown? It just might feel like that that's not quite where I'm at. That might not be not, might not be what I'm there for. It's you know where are we at with the masks? I don't know about you, but I can't hear anything anyone's saying. You know it's. It's, it's, you know, it, there's, so, there's, so many, there's so many questions that really need answered before we can give a pro, I, we, chefs and restaurant people, all, we always want to give the best quality experience possible. The best, you know, it's the same when you write a menu, you want to, you want to, you want to be buying the best quality produce at your price point. Like that's the thing, you know, you, if you're at that, you know, you're looking at your spend per head and you want to give the guests the absolute best you possibly can takes time it take, there's tweaking that you know needs to be done the suppliers are bleeding are bleeding as well they're they're down 90 percent as well it's not you know the the ripple effect is not just what you see in the restaurant is you know you it's all these suppliers that you know they're waiting on us so things will take a little bit of, of time to 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 tweak in um never mind before you look at things like outdoor furniture what do you do about rain? You know, like that's going to be if you, if it's a beautiful sunshine, then all of all of a sudden there's rain. You've you know you've say you've put two or three front of house members on, you know, uh, for starting at twelve, going through to say five or six o'clock. Then it starts raining heavily from two. You lose all your reservations. Well, you you know this isn't this isn't really the time to be saying look, sorry mate, but. Um, you know, I'm not giving you those other three hours. There's all there's all these little knock-on effects that that I'm sure we'll be able to solve, uh, but we definitely need more information. Uh, well, what are you feeling? Are you thinking that the, uh, you know, that there's plenty of info? You know, that it's an easy. It it doesn't seem very easy to to cipher, in my opinion. No, no, it's definitely not, and I I agree. I think to, that. There are a lot of questions that people have got and I think when you're talking about, about something like outdoor dining, there are so many variables. Of course, there's the weather, as you've spoken of, there's the different physical scenarios that people have got. You know, every business is different in that regard. So, you know, every, some people have got undercover, some people haven't. Some people need to put up infrastructure. Other people are lucky enough to have it sorted already. Um, yeah, so there's there are so many things to think about and, yeah, there's all the other issues you talk about in terms of, you know, how are people going to be allowed to gather? How long are they going to be allowed out there are so many variables but we'll get we'll get it we'll get it done we'll definitely we'll definitely get it done because that's what we do you know that's that's the thing that if anyone gets it done the hospitality industry we get it done to get the sleeves rolled up get the old tin hat on and just bash through that's that's we will get it done but it's, it's definitely going to need uh it's definitely going to need careful consideration Absolutely. Well, if we look beyond those um, those issues that are going to be with us for the next months, however long it is, and look a little bit further into um, into our crystal ball, how are you feeling about those upper ends of dining? Um, you've you're you have another restaurant in the planning in that building that's you know a more fine dining restaurant. Where, where do you think is the place for for restaurants like that and for those more um, high end dining experiences? 
Oh, look, that is definitely tricky. And, you know, I think, to be honest, I think that the the industry was already in a transformation. You know, it was already, there was, we were already dealing with massive, massive, uh, you know, we're changing the habits of three generations. You know, I've been, I've been in Australia for, I think, seven years. I've been cooking for 16 years. For, you know, it's probably longer than I was at school. But, but you know, the, the industry was already changing. We're changing, we're changing. We were changing so much. Like when I came to Australia, staging was still extremely common practice. You know, there, there is big, you know, we've, we've seen everything in, in these last kind of seven years through, you know, mental health awareness from wage scandals to, a re, you know, a change of mentality, kind of people looking for a better quality of life. I think what we have really haven't done is really look at what that really means and the knock-on effects. You know, there's really only two kinds of restaurants, busy or not busy. That's it. It's one's attacking, one's defending. So the industry was, I think we were still trying to figure out how to do, the, you know, to follow the letter of the law. Like, have you ever looked at the full awards, you know, the the actual awards, the restaurant awards uh, industry. Yeah, I actually have. It's like ninety-six pages, and it's pretty complicated. Yeah. Yes, it's it's an absolute it's an absolute tomb. You know, if Wool if Woolworths are admitting to you know annually mispaying people thirty-three million dollars with the resources and systems those guys have, you know, the and and they are still saying that they're they're working through it, then. You know, imagine how that is for when you're an owner or operator, when you're a chef, you know, and you, you maybe you've got you know, a small 25, 40 seat place trying to do a tasting menu, you're really pushing it, giving it everything you've got. You know, you don't, you just don't have those, those, those systems in place. And that, that's just simple fact. People can dress that up however they want, but that's just the cold hard facts. Deciphering that award is an absolute mission and a half. So I still don't think that conversation was really, 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 really had. And I don't think that um, we're finished with that by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, well, I mean, the award the award is one thing and it certainly gets, I mean, I hear it from, you know, it's people at every level of the industry that it gets harder and harder to run a profitable business. Do you think from the diner side of things, Steve, that people are going to be wanting those higher-end experiences? I, I can see it, <laughs> I'll answer the question myself from my point of view, I, I can see it going both ways. I mean, for a start, you know, you've already mentioned people, some people at least have got a lot less money to splash around and they will be looking for value and I suppose there's value at every level, but they'll be they'll be simply looking to spend less. But then at the same time, I think the the experiences that we're going to have in restaurants will count more. I think we won't perhaps have as many of them. We'll be a bit choosy about who we socialise with. Perhaps we won't be you know interacting with as many people. But I think sometimes those fine dining restaurants that perhaps have a little bit more space, um, you can be a little less rushed. Uh, you can feel like the environment is perhaps more controlled. There aren't as many people coming and going. I can see in a COVID normal world that those experiences could actually uh, become quite popular. Yeah, I think, look, I think, and people have, people have missed huge amounts of things. Those restaurants are absolutely fantastic for celebrating. People have missed wedding anniversaries, I'm sure, you know, the birthdays, all sorts of celebrations. So they will definitely, they'll definitely, um, they'll def they, they definitely have their place for that. And the rich are still rich. There's, there's not, you know, there's still going to be, plenty of people with disposable income um, to get them through. But if you look, you know, in terms of, 
you know, going past COVID, and because this is this isn't just going to go away whenever we get get reopened. I'm sure we're going to have to be living with social distancing, all sorts of increased uh, costs due to that as well. So I think that it is going to be definitely definitely tough. But the biggest thing is the chefs and the the restaurant people are so far more like. Um, knowledgeable and have you know they're so much more far ahead in terms of responsibility for environmental influences sustainability practices these things that you know that those kinds of restaurants really lead the light on that's very important you know we can't we don't want to be losing that because eventually that all filters through into you know your local cafe it might sound really ridiculous but in time you know, would you have, you know, would you have thought there would be someone doing like, you know, using an espuma gun um, for like, you know, you see crazy stuff in cafes. You know, I'm not, I'm not talking about standard cream whipping where, you know, aerated hollandaises. You see that, and you know, it might, it might have been in the fine diners ten years ago, but it does filter its way through. So I think that the chefs really being aware of these kinds of things um, is is definitely. Um, it definitely increases costs and labor. So yes, from a profitability and kind of actually running the those high end restaurants, I'm talking about you know the top of the top. It will be it will be very challenging, but I'm sure it'll be no different to when there was a recession on uh, the previous time. Like I remember when I was a commie chef, I was this is you know the uh, GFC when back in the UK, which we were hit pretty pretty hard there. Um, I was I was probably only one or two years into cooking, so I had no idea about what really was going on behind the scenes. But I knew pressure was, you know, I knew the covers had gone down, and the big chef his was under mega, mega pressure. You know, we went from using morels to, you know, uh, hydroponically grown oyster mushrooms. You know, the turbot was no longer there; it was place. You know, the so. We may, you know, that's that's the only that's the that's the only thing. I'm sure, I'm sure we will get back to our best, and um, yeah, you know, long may fine dining uh, continue because it's it's magical. It's like that's it's the it's the it's you know there's it's really hard to beat when it's done right. It's really really hard to beat. Yeah, I guess it's that Formula One argument, isn't it, where it's like you need that innovation at the top end where people are spending, you know, stupid money on on trying things out and things that might seem a little bit outlandish, but then they do they do filter down. And I guess you don't want this massive middle and middle part of the market where it's a sea of burgers and pasta. I mean, bless burgers and pasta. I love them. But you do want people who are... Um, noodling around um, in a more rarefied atmosphere and just trying things out so that, yeah, they can um, be applied in different ways at different levels of the industry. Um, Steve, tell us about some of the restaurants that you've worked in. Well, yeah, I started in, uh, started in Glasgow. I was, work, you know, um, when I was 16, I, uh, I was a commie chef for, for a guy called Brian Mole. He was a... Uh, he was the chef of Gavroche for 14 years when it was back when it was an absolute war zone. So he was a, he was a super talented guy. But he get, I got I got in there at the right time. I was I was very lucky. I was you know I had no idea what was going on uh, in terms of he. Be, I remember him interviewing me and he was like, I think I was getting paid. I think the sal. I, he was like, I can give you seven dollars. I can give. I think he was like, I can give you no no. It was three dollars eighty an hour. 
or I can give you a salary, and I think it was something as low as nine grand a year, pounds sterling, which is like 18. Eight. So he was just like, look, you know nothing. You have no clue. You're a blank canvas. If you come with me, you definitely learn learn the the you learn something. So I went in, and this is this is back when the, you know he was he was still in that crazy London mentality, um, you know. But I really. I stayed there for six years because that was back when you know you didn't just move you didn't just move around sections you didn't be knocking on the chef's door and going you know I've been on I've been on the veg section for three months I think I should get shot on the sauce that was unthinkable you know you moved when you moved when he told you you were ready you moved when you stopped getting you know uh, pulled up for constant little mistakes so I'd done that for about. Six years. I started with, you know, I, I worked all the way through the stations, and that was a there. The rule was, if you were on the sauce, you started. He would be on the sauce. You were his calming, you know. So you would be preparing everything for the sauces. Extremely fast-paced environment. Um, and then you would, then you would actually, you would cook at lunch. He would cook at dinner. Uh, lunch was actually the more difficult service, but he would be doing bigger jobs like butchery, filleting, while just caning you. You know, non nonstop trying to trying to teach you because that's the thing is is like they were only at that time he was you know the, the kitchens were built on just what the other people had done there was that was the way that's the was the way it worked you had to cook all the seasons you know you couldn't just be on sauce for spring you had to be there for the glorious twelfth if you didn't do the game season you hadn't actually been on sauce the game season was brutal. So that started on August August twelfth, which you know they call the glorious twelfth. Starts with grouse, and like they would be in fresh, still warm sometimes, and everyone in the kitchen would be plucking, uh, getting them ready ready for lunch. And they the that kind of cooking is just you can't you really can't um, you can't you, that training you just you never forget that because it was really high pressurized. So then from there I wanted to. My friend, did, my, 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 one of my close friends, he'd went to London set up. He went to Pierre de Terre, which had two Michelin stars at the time. I think Shane Osborne, an Australian, was the, he was the chef. And he was telling me about, you know, the way it worked down there. I'd done some stages. I staged at Gavroche, um, I think Ledbury at the time. I'd been in a few other places. Um, and I'd seen, I was well aware that it was it was tough, and I, I knew myself. There was no, I wasn't ready to go to go to London. I wouldn't have actually have survived in one of those two Michelin star war zones that they're doing. Literally, like eighty covers for lunch and eighty covers for dinner. Like they're just so busy. You know, when you're that busy, that's a, that's a different environment. You know, when restaurants are really that busy and they're that, you know, they work in a very particular way. That is really physically demanding, mentally draining. And you need to be tough. And you need if your skill set is really not um, fully established, you won't you won't survive. I knew that. I could see that. So I went um, over to to Edinburgh and I worked in a restaurant called Restaurant Number One. It had one Michelin star. The chef there was a guy called Craig Sandow, and he was exactly what he what I needed. He was, uh, you know, he was. He was strict, but he was gentle, and he was approachable, and he was an absolute craftsman. You know, like if you, I remember saying to he, you know, we used to get these beautiful pigs, uh, suckling pigs in, and he'd say, you know, I, usually in those days the chefs would be like, uh, you know, do you know how to break this down? And if he said no, they would rip the piss out of you and make you feel like, you know, terrible form of of encouragement, like does not work. But this guy was completely different. He was like, oh, come in at Saturday, come in at seven in the morning. 
you know, me, me and you just uh, just alone. He spent like four and a half hours showing you how to break it down. Never made you feel feel like you were silly or didn't know what you'd done. Um, and then, you know, the respect that you, you, for ingredients are really saw through this this guy. Uh, and then I was fortunate there to work with some really top quality chefs. You know, Billy Craig Sandal actually he left, and then Billy Boiter took over as the head chef. He he now has a great restaurant, um, another one Michelin star, super technical guy, very talented. He'd, you know, um, I spent some great time with him. But then I was kind of feeling like time. You know, I wanted to really test myself somewhere else. I've been really. I'd, I'd actually when I, the first guy I worked for, we went to New York to represent Scotland at a game dinner. So we went there and I saw New York and I was like, this is unbelievable. He took me to you know all sorts of restaurants, Danielle, Bernadan, loads of different bistros, Japanese, I'd, I'd never seen, I didn't even have a clue what a Japanese restaurant was, you know, I had no idea what, that, that, that didn't exist in Glasgow, um, so I always had that kind of bug, and again, as London was, something was turning me off about London, every time I staged there, I just felt chaotic, I just, I just didn't, it, I like, you know, I, it just didn't inspire me, it didn't make me go, you know what, I'm totally prepared to put my life on hold for this, mm, I wasn't really, I wasn't really feeling it. Uh, then I started to see I live in Madison Park. Uh, that something about the food, the style. I was like, oh god, it's magical. You know, I wrote. I think I sent. I sent them quite a few emails, um, just to inquire, just to chance in my arm. I had no visa, nothing. I just tried to get. Uh, um, tried to get an entry in there, and I uh, basically they invited me for a trial. I had, you know, pr pretty much spent my entire life saving. Got a flight. Me and my girlfriend, now wife at the time, off we off we went. Done a, I think it was a two day stage. Really put me through the paces. But when I saw that, I was, I was like, this. I've got to get in here. Um, you know, you, they make you cook the the trial they done there. You know, they have you cook a dish against another guy who's competing for the same job. So you, the standard in this place, you know, is really, 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 really top top. Um, top level like if you can't hand, if you can't handle you know um for instance uh yeah so i'm getting ahead of myself but basically i done the the i done the cooked the dishes uh you know got tested out in service and i was lucky enough they offered me a job there and then they sponsored me um so i i went back you know told billy that, that was it i was uh i was off he was really happy for me even though i was the sous chef at the time he was really happy for me to to off we go so yeah then I was I live in Madison Park got the, luckily I got I don't know if it still exists but I got the J1 visa which is um uh I think it was about 15 months you get then and the next re visa after that is 20,000 British pounds so I knew there was no chance I knew I was I knew that was the timeline I knew I had to learn as much as as possible and I, that was just such an eye-opener I didn't even I don't know even though I loved cuisine and I you know studied you know I really read any cookbook I saved up all my cash to get cookbooks Instagram wasn't much of a thing then so you didn't you didn't really you do, you wouldn't just see what was in other people's restaurants you know you, it wasn't just like oh yeah let's oh have you heard about this place go on and then just go through a wall of like their portfolio of work that didn't exist you had to either go and eat there or stash um, and yeah, so luckily I got a position there and off I went. What was a key dish at 11 Madison Park in your time there? You know, a dish that really speaks to what the restaurant's project was. Uh, it it's runs through their DNA. They're, you know, they, they have their heat, you know, they have the, the, 
they have their, their they have so many signature dishes. Like they, you know, if you look through their books, I would say what they it's not so much it wasn't so much signature dishes or things that really caught my attention. It was actually the systems, the way that they worked. You know, it was like it worked like a seriously well-run uh, organization. There was big hierarchy. There was the responsibilities were co completely cleared out. The approach was not like London, where they were just screaming and bollocking people, and everyone looked wrecked, and everyone's eyes were falling out of their heads, and they don't look healthy. And you know, these guys were working eight to ten hours, whereas in London it was eighteen hours. In the UK, it was 18 hours. So I was, these guys are working 10 hours, but they, those 10 hours were absolutely intense, beyond belief. You know, you were literally running. I don't think many people can handle that. Um, you know, because if you think right now, if you think the big shift in the last few years is like five, five six, seven years is been getting away from chefs working 60 hours a week, you know, a lot or, or even more in a lot of cases to more condensed 40. But it's not like the restaurants just have got some brand new source of money that then they can just employ another guy. So you're basically asking, you're basically shaving 20 hours off the, the average person's working week. So that, of course, that means that those eight or 10 hours are going to be far more intense, far more aggressive. And I think that that's the kind of thing that people don't understand with, yeah, sure, you can... You know, we can, you know, the job, the job, cooking is not going to change. Like you're, if you're working in a, a progressive restaurant where the the chef, if, you know, she or he's like thinking, you know, that they're always pushing, they always want to do a good job. Like it's going to be intense. Like you're going to, you're going to have to really work. And there in 11 Madison Park, it, it was absolute, the, the amount of mise en place, I've never seen anything like it in my life. Like the... Well, there was one veg section that was, everything was made absolutely fresh for that service that day. You started with zero. There, were, you know, it was an army. There was about forty chefs. There was a commie team. You know, then there was guys who were staging, and then there was people who were on the line. So if you were a, you know, paid full time employee, you were on the line, as they say, or in America, you were actually running a section. But those, the amount of tasks that had to be done, there was two or three tastings a day. You know, you were get. It wouldn't be uncommon to get absolutely savaged at five five o'clock. You know, through the tasting by either one, the chef de cuisine, executive sous chef, or chef patron. Yeah, you, just, you know, you could be starting again on eleven sauces at five o'clock and three star Michelin environment. It's absolutely like if you, you you. And this is the thing that I really noticed there that was we didn't work crazy amounts of hours there, but the pressure was 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 absolutely the same as doing the the mega hours like you if you were off sunday and going monday by six o'clock sunday if you were starting the monday morning you by six o'clock sunday you were already thinking about monday morning jesus how am i going to get this done you know i need to i need to do this you're thinking of the mise-en-place and the rhythm of your head you get a big day like say for instance the purchase and sous chef sends back half the produce because it's not up to scratch your timeline just be completely nuked and you're not just turning around to Chef de Cuisine during tasting and going, oh, well, I didn't get it to three o'clock, Chef. So that's not an option. Like, there's no screaming and shouting. There's no screaming and shouting in that kitchen. There was really, I never saw any craziness. Um, it was simply, you could do the job or you couldn't. It was a very business-like transaction. It was either, thanks for your service, but it's not quite good enough. Or, you know, you rose to the challenge. And you, there was a lot of really, really top quality. You know, everyone you're working shoulder to shoulder with from, you know, French Laundry or some European heavy-hitting three Michelin star restaurant, somewhere in Japan, some crazy joint you've never you've never heard of. The, the caliber of the people you're working with, 
you know, they're, everyone starts as a commie there. So you were getting guys who were chef de cuisine in a two Michelin star restaurant starting as commie with you. And they, they're running rings around you. So each person is, the culture is the, like, everyone's motivating everyone. It's so intense that you, if you're not up to scratch or you're not playing ball or, you know, like for instance, if you're coming in, if you were, if you were, you know, what a lot of young guys fall into the trap of going out and getting smashed, then thinking they can do the job. If you're doing that in a place like that, you will not survive. It's impossible because they just see through it in seconds. You know, you you can't physically complete the tasks. So, it, you know, I've I've gone off tangent slightly, but it wasn't about dishes. The, the food was unbelievable. You could see that how clean the presentation was was, un, but you could see you went in the cool room. If there was a bit of, if there was one, if there was one thing that wasn't in a, the correct, immaculate, identical container that wasn't uh, alphabetically lined up, it stuck out like a sore thumb. The place was so immaculate. You were shaving twice a day. You know, you were genuinely shaving. You were cleanly shaven and well presented. Like it, it, you, you, there was no messing around. You were. This was a job where you had to be committed before. It wasn't like I start work at ten o'clock, I wake up at eleven o'clock. You're, I was living in Harlem, so you weren't to get down to twenty third. You know that was a bit of a journey. So this was a pure people. Everyone, it felt like everyone who was there wanted to be there, and they were all driving in the same direction. And they have, they had tremendous leadership. Like all the people at the top brass, you know, Chef James Ken. Brian Lockwood, uh, Dimitri, uh, Connie Chung, an uh, unbelievable pastry chef, and Angela Pinkerton. You know, these people were big chefs in their own right, all working under this one, this one, uh, one thing. It was uh, it was an absolute privilege to 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 be there. Like some days, I felt I should have been paying them because the the things that I was learning is. You, every technique is is so so well considered that I still rely on many of the organisational structures that I saw there. Like, they're the yeah, it was pretty inspiring. That it was a, it was a must do. Wow! And did you come straight from there to Vudemont in Melbourne? Well, yeah. Well, you know, there was actually a bit of bit of heartache in the in the in the. Uh, I live in Madison Park story. So my, my me and my wife had went to get the, uh, you know, both tried to get visas. My visa was actually accepted. We thought you know, her her work visa was rejected, but then we thought she would have been able to get across on, um, on a, on a different kind of visa. However, so you know, I was waiting for her at JFK only to get the phone call that she was not allowed to enter America. So we were a we were apart for. Um, a year which was you know really really tough um and she you know she had already given me so much in terms of you know st when you're a chef your partner you know the your partner really goes through the ringer they're really backing you 100 percent because you're not there at night you know you, you there's lots of things you miss out the restaurant you know really takes a lot lot for you so does all the other things so I returned from my year, and then I went back to you know winter back uh, in 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 Glasgow. Stuck around for Glasgow, and I actually went back to my old chef and helped him out for three months. Well, he had some knee problems, and he was taking some time off. So 
I actually got a wee chance to go back there and 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 hang out there for three months. We originally came to Australia thinking we were going to. Um, we originally came to Australia thinking that we were going to go travel and thought I'd be in Melbourne for three or four months. My, you know, one of my good friends was here, um, and we we thought we'd be here for a couple of months and then you know end up in Japan or or someone else. I was I was still sending CVs to. All over the all over the globe, trying to you know crazy you know I was I was sending CVs to places like Japan and uh, Brazil, never knowing where we're going, but I always wanted to be working in the best possible place that I, I could get in. And then, however, I came to Melbourne, and I was like, whoa, this is you know we re we really started to to settle in. And yeah, I was at Vudamon pretty much straight away. I think I was here for two weeks. You know, met uh, Shannon, Corey, and a few other uh, of the kind of top top guys and I ended up you know start you know I ended up there for a good period of time had some great times up there and uh, that's where I really started to fall in love with Melbourne and you know in Australia and a bit you know now I've been here you know seven odd years. Wow wow Steve I mean what you're talking all the stuff you're saying about the training that you had and the plucking the grouse and those you know the alphabetized containers 11 Madison Park I mean all of that I suppose just goes back to what we were talking about earlier and how valuable it is to have that that incredible grounding and to have those great mentors and to have people who are taking cuisine so seriously and really finding the art in it and finding the possibilities for for development and taking it further and further um, makes me feel lucky to have you here in Melbourne and even more keen for you to be able to reopen when it's safe to do so, when you've had a chance to read through whatever regulations are put in front of us. Um, but yeah, we will have to get you back on the show to continue telling your Australian story and to see where Omnia is at and what you're able to do with the asparagus if it's still in season, when you're allowed to open. <laughs> well, well, we'll be, you know, we'll be, we're not going we're definitely not going to be quitting or giving up, that's for sure. We'll definitely be scrapping all, uh, you know, nonstop to, to get back up and running. Yeah, I know you will. Thank you so much for having a chat to us today, Steve. Really, really great to talk to you. Thank you. No problem. Great. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is a Deep in the Weeds production. <laughs> this is the part of the podcast where someone comes to the door and my dog goes crazy. So we're lucky enough to have these uh, these special interludes every few every few times that I record. Um, <laughs>